0: uneasy feeling that you get in the pit of your stomach, uh, that unsettling feeling that you get when maybe you walk by somebody who's homeless, uh, somebody who's panhandling. And really, when, you, when you're approached by someone, someone like that, you don't know exactly what to do. do. Do I stop? Do I help them? Do I walk away? Uh, we, we get it when we're channel surfing into pleas for money for starving children in third world countries. And uh, we don't know exactly what to do. There's an emotion there that's somewhere between anger, because we don't want to be bothered, and guilt, because we wonder if maybe it's our duty to help people like this. Most of the time, when we're confronted with people like this, uh, we, we stuff that feeling deep down We ignore it. Uh, We act like, you know, it's not there. Or we say, you know what, that's not my problem. Someone else, someone with more money, more resources, more time could do far more good than I'll ever be able to do. And so again, we, we just stuff that feeling down and we move on and we try to forget about it. Well, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 25 Matthew chapter 25, verse 35 specifically is kind of the defining verse for God's shelter of love. By the way, for those of you who don't know, while you're turning in your Bibles, God's shelter of love is Decatur's first homeless shelter for families. It was established in 1991, and to this day, it is the only homeless shelter for families in Macon County. Uh, We serve not only Decatur and Macon County, but all of Central Illinois, and so I tell all of our supporting churches: if you ever are in a position where you have a family that's in need of housing, uh, we're the people you should call. Um, and we're very thankful for the support that we've received over the years from First Christian Church in Clinton. But if you've got your Bibles turned to Matthew chapter twenty-five, Jesus has been speaking about the end times throughout this entire chapter. And in verse 31, this is what he says. He says in verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil And his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. You know that feeling I was talking about, that feeling that we try to stuff down when we're approached by a homeless person, a, a panhandler, a beggar, that feeling we try to stuff down and forget. Jesus is telling us here, God doesn't forget. He does not Forget, according to Jesus, he will remember our actions or our lack thereof towards the hungry, the poor, the homeless, those falsely imprisoned, the outcast. He will remember those actions or the lack thereof on Judgment Day. That's a sobering thought. To think that our eternal destinies are somehow linked to how we treat these kind of people... I don't know about you, but it makes me a little nervous. So I want us to look at this passage of Scripture, try to understand uh, exactly what Jesus means by this. In order to do that, we're going to have to put this into some context. We need to understand exactly who it is that is delivering this teaching. Obviously, it's Jesus, but who is Jesus as he delivers this teaching? I'm just curious, I would imagine, I'm going to guess that the first service crowd probably has more, uh, uh, more hands shown when I ask this question, but I'm going to go ahead and ask, how many of you have a picture of Jesus in your home? Show of hands, several of you, right? Yeah, uh, we had one growing up in our home. Generally speaking, that picture of Jesus is somebody who looks a lot like us, maybe with long flowing hair, blue eyes, generally speaking. Somebody who's usually really good looking. Somebody kind of like Adam Brucker, maybe a a little bit better beard than what Adam's got right there. Most of us have seen movies that depict Jesus as uh, usually a really good looking guy, good beard, you know, a Hollywood type. Uh, But do you know, according to the Bible, Physically, economically, and ethnically speaking, Jesus was at the bottom. You know, generally, we think of Jesus' appearance as being one that commanded a lot of attention and respect. You know, according to the prophet Isaiah, that's not the case at all. In fact, we read in Isaiah chapter 53, a passage of Scripture that's really familiar around Easter time. This is what Isaiah said about Jesus, said that he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces, He was despised, and we esteemed him not. You know, if we were to have met Jesus face-to-face in the first century, according to what I read in God's Word, we would have come to the conclusion that he was a lot more like one of them than he was like one of us. We would have jumped to the conclusion that he's really just not our kind of people. You get the point here, folks? Jesus was more like one of the least of these than he was like us. And he knows that how we treat the least of these in our day is how we would have treated him had we met him face to face in the first century. You know, if we serve those uh, whom God, or rather whom society calls losers, we would have served Jesus. If we commit random acts of kindness to people who are at the bottom, we would have served Jesus. We would have done the same for him. And if we constantly turn our backs on those people whom Jesus calls the least, those on the bottom rung of the socioeconomic ladder, we would have turned our backs on him. And friends, That's why the sentence of eternal punishment is going to be handed down even to people who've done great religious things like casting out demons and prophesying and performing great miracles. And here's the point. Salvation is never about religion. Salvation is never about being religious. Salvation always is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And these people in the story, they didn't have one. They didn't know him. They overlooked him. On Judgment Day, it will be plain who really has a relationship with Jesus Christ and who doesn't. You'll be able to tell by the way that they serve the poor and the homeless, the outcasts, those whom society calls Losers, those on the bottom of the heap, that's the point of Jesus' teaching here. Now, having said that, let me clearly state that serving the least doesn't earn our salvation. Serving the poor, serving the outcast, it doesn't earn your salvation, but it is proof that you already have it, it's evidence. That we already have it. You cannot look at your life and say, you know what, I've done a lot of good things in my life. You know, I served at the grab and go, and I help with the food pantry, and once a month I go to the Good Samaritan. So I must be okay with God. In God's eyes, I have uh, to have earned my way. My good outweighs my back. Listen to me. You are accepted by God, not based on how you serve the poor. You're accepted by God on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's that's what we're accepted on. On faith. God accepts you on the basis of your faith. But that faith, if it's real, will be validated by acts of kindness. By the way that you treat those who need the most help. Those on the bottom rung. It'll be validated by the ways that you reach out to individuals of another race or nationality, even to people who are not Christians. This is a tough teaching, isn't it? It really is. It is a tough teaching. But let me tell you, understanding it is the easy part. Doing it, living it out, practicing, that's really the hard part. That's where the rubber meets the road. And I want to talk just real quickly about some of the objections that we have when it comes to serving the least of these brothers and sisters of Jesus these are probably going to be fairly uh, familiar uh, several negative thoughts usually cross our minds at various points when we come against uh, come up uh, and conf- are confronted by these kinds of people uh, one is this is the worst possible timing the worst possible timing I was a minister at Wapella Christian Church, as I said, for about eight years. One of the interesting things about Wapella Christian Church, which is just about six, seven miles north, uh, is that the parsonage and the church sanctuary are connected. And so I loved that. A lot of times I loved it. I didn't have to, to get up when it was 20 below and, you know, get the car warmed up. There's two feet of snow outside there would be times, sometimes, I confess, where somebody would come in to see me at 9 a.m., and I was still in my pajamas. You know, I'm in the office, and, you know. Uh, but I'll tell you when I didn't like that at all. I didn't like it when at 9.30 at night, somebody would see a light on in the parsonage, and they'd knock on the door, you know. And I'm I'm watching an Illini game, you know. And, and back then, they were winning, so it was a good thing, you know. But... I thought, are you kidding me? Somebody coming looking for help at 9.30 at night? Somebody needing gas or food or clothing? And you know something that I realized after that experience? There is hardly ever a convenient time to serve these kinds of people. There's always something going on in our lives where we could say, oh, not now, I got a million things going on. We use this excuse. This is the worst timing. I'm, I'm in a hurry. i got to catch a train. The list goes on and on. Um, here's another objection. Maybe these people deserve their fate. Have you ever thought that? You know, maybe if they would have said no to drugs and alcohol when they were young, they wouldn't have these problems that they have today. Maybe if they would have gotten an education, they wouldn't have been poor and homeless. Maybe if they'd made better choices, better decisions, they wouldn't be in the situation that they're in. You ever had that thought? You see people who are down and out. I have. You know, you reap what you sow. This is what you get, you want to say, right? Folks, I think Jesus would tell us that even if it's true, that's not our place to make that pronouncement. On people that's God's territory so what if we make a mistake by helping people who don't deserve it well notice Jesus didn't warn us of the uh, the consequences uh, or the eternal consequences for being too compassionate if we're going to err we need to err on the side of compassion and mercy for people. Here's a third objection that we have. I'll probably get burned. It's just opening up the door to being played for a sucker, right? We have an interesting new um, job training program at Blessingdale's Thrift Shop. I went down to St. Louis with uh, Greg Taylor and Mike Malick. They both serve on my board. And it was one of those killing two birds with one stone kind of thing. I wanted to go down there and visit a mission called Mission St. Louis, the biggest reason I wanted to visit is because they have a, a thrift store like we do, and they have a retail jobs training program in their thrift store where they 're taking homeless people and they 're giving them uh, job skills retail job skills and and building bridges with retailers in the community uh, who have a, a heart for these kinds of people and so um, we thought this is perfect and we we went down there and interviewed the executive director and the lady who who uh, runs the uh, thrift store, and uh, then we went to a Blues Blackhawks game right after. <laughs> That's the two birds with one stone there thing there, right? It was a kind of a win-win. But we started this. We started this retail training institute, started up about six months ago, and while I was talking to my wife Susan, who runs the thrift store, it dawned on me. You know what? Most of these students that we are attracting have got felony records, We've got people that are students that we are trying to help who have been imprisoned for residential burglary, for armed robbery, uh, people who have criminal backgrounds, and maybe in some cases who have criminal minds. They think like criminals. And I said, you know, there's a good chance, Susan, we're going to get robbed. We're going to take these students in, we're going to try to help them, give them some job skills, and they're going to walk out with merchandise. When we're not paying attention, they're going to... And you know what we finally came to the conclusion of? That's all right. It's okay if we get burned from time to time, if we get taken advantage of. This is what God has called us to, and we're going to run with it. We're going to do this. Um, Folks, if you commit random acts of senseless kindness to the least of Jesus' brothers and sisters, there are going to be times you're going to get burned. You will. Uh, you can count on it. It happens to me on a regular basis from people who come looking for help. So where do you draw the line on helping someone? Well, if God puts someone in your path, if God places someone in your life and tells you to help them, that's where That's where you draw the line. Here's a, number four, another objection. I'm uncomfortable. Around these kinds of people. You ever just scared by street people? I think it's a normal feeling to just be a little bit intimidated. Sometimes they're a little scary. Sometimes they're missing most of their teeth. Sometimes they emit a foul odor. Sometimes they act like they're drunk or under the influence or have some kind of really, really bad mental illness where they're talking to themselves. Um, You know, We have a resident at God's Shelter of Love right now who is HIV positive. I had a staff member who said, what do we do with somebody who's HIV positive? I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that. And I said, you treat them like a human being. That's what you do. You treat them with dignity. I think each and every one of us, folks, we need to remember. And I think we've all been guilty at times of forgetting That every human being is created in the image of God. Everyone, each and every person alive has been created in God's image. And that means that they are worthy of dignity and respect. Paul wrote this. He said, in the Christian life, if you really know Jesus, one's nationality or race or education or social position is unimportant. Such things mean nothing. And here's another objection. I know it's going to cost me. I just know it's going to cost me. If I help, it's going to cost me. Well, you know what? Oftentimes helping others does cost us. It will cost us financially. It will cost us our time. Um, for others, it will cost energy. Uh, it's, it's a fact. It might cost you from time to time. And here's the last objection. How Can one act of kindness make a difference? I'm just one person, right? How how am I, you know, myself, how am I going to be able to do something? I want you to notice something about this list of reasons here. I want you to notice something about this list of objections. And that is, Jesus could have legitimately used every one of these objections to avoid serving us. Every one of them. Everything you and I could say about those people, every one of them could be said of us. Jesus could have said, Father, number one, I don't want to invest 33 years of my life. Number two, these people are sinners. They don't deserve compassion. Number three, if I get involved, I'm going to get burned. Ultimately, I'll be crucified. Number four, I'm not going to be comfortable in their world. They are profane. They have no respect for the holy. Number five, it's going to cost me my life. Number six, will it even make a difference? These people don't even care about what we're doing for them. Do you get the point? In other words, don't forget that what the least of these are in the physical realm you and i are in the spiritual realm that takes sober judgment as the song says there but for the grace of god go i so let me give you a few practical tips on how to get involved in serving number one is so obvious uh volunteer in a formal service program Uh, we came this year to the grab-and-go and and i gotta tell you i am blown away by the clinton grab-and-go cody monkman actually i think started doing the grab-and-go when he was about uh, about that tall Oh, wait a minute he's about that tall now right so (laughs) it would have been about there i think he was a teenager right when Cody started the grab-and-go. He's, I think, just a youth group member. And that thing has grown, and it is phenomenal. I'll tell you, First Christian Church in Clinton leads in the area of serving the poor in DeWitt County. It takes an army to pull off the grab-and-go each and every year. And I know many of you, if not most of you, are plugged into the the grab-and-go. And I say bravo, congratulations. You're doing a great job. If you are not plugged in, In some area of service, whether it's through the food pantry, there are plenty of opportunities. There are plenty of nursing homes and soup kitchens and shelters that you can go to and serve. Um, That's a very practical way to really get plugged in. Um, I would say, secondly, consider how you could use your skills, uh, your gifts and abilities. Maybe God has wired you up in such a way uh, that you're just gifted at working with certain kinds of people. God could use you to serve the needy people in this world in a specific way. And finally, I would say you need to respond to divine appointments. Those are chance opportunities to serve that God puts in your life. Respond to that. Be sensitive to those times in your life where God is speaking to you and putting somebody in your path and telling you, you, you need to help. Um, this is uh, from Hebrews 13, verse 2. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. I think the idea is that God sends people your way, He sends people to you who need your help. So keep your eyes and your ears open, be sensitive to those chance encounters, those divine appointments. Now let me close out just by saying that serving is not a one-way street. There is a return. Whenever we give, there is always a return. Here are two rewards that come to those who serve. First, serving others puts your own troubles into proper perspective. Uh, You may be like, me, and you have a tendency to catch yourself complaining about things, you know. Have you ever gotten into one of those griping kind of modes, and then you just kind of caught yourself, and you, re- you just realize, what, what am I doing? I am so blessed. I am blessed beyond measure. What am I whining about, right? When you serve the poor, when you serve people who don't have a roof over their heads, and maybe the only set of clothes that they own are the ones they're wearing, it really puts your troubles into perspective. You recognize that God has been so good to you. Uh, And that's a huge reward. When you serve, you recognize how good you've got it. I don't think you've got to go to Haiti or the Dominican Republic. You can uh, recognize how blessed you are right here by serving the poor in DeWitt County in central Illinois. Here's the second thing I would say. You are never closer to God than when you serve. It's usually when we are in getting mode, when we're in receiving mode, that we dry up spiritually. It's when we're giving, when we're serving those who are at the bottom, that we feel closest to God, when God feels the nearest to us. There's a passage in Isaiah chapter 58, one of my favorite passages in all of God's Word, Isaiah 58 beginning in verse 7. This is what the prophet Isaiah wrote. Verse 7. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. Folks, I can't tell you how many times this passage has been true in my own life. And here's what I would say. If you're feeling distant from God If you're feeling like God is not near, it may be because you're not serving. It may be because you've been sitting at the table for too long when all along you've needed to to push yourself away and take up a towel and serve. Martin Luther King Jr., he once said, Everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know the second law of thermodynamics in physics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace. First Christian Church, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let's fill our hearts full of God's grace and let's share it with the world. Let's go and pray. Lord, we thank you for your wonderful grace that saved us. And we're reminded from your word, Lord, that you gave up the glories of heaven, the riches of heaven for us. We're reminded, Lord, that you became poor for our sakes so that through your poverty, we might become rich. And Lord, through your shed blood, we have become rich beyond measure. You have showered down upon us every spiritual blessing. And Lord, we know you've gone to prepare a place for us in glory something far greater than we can ask or imagine. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us a heart full of grace, that we would see those around us who are hurting, the poor, the homeless, the outcasts as you see them, as people created in your image, people that you love and for whom you, you gave your very life. And so, Lord, we pray that you would change us from within. And, Lord, help us to recognize... That when we're serving these kinds of people, we're serving you. When we turn our backs on them, we in fact turn our backs on you. Lord, help us to be like you in the way we treat everyone, with dignity and respect. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, thank you, Ed. We really appreciate you coming to share. and uh, It's given us a lot to think about. My prayer for, for us all, including myself, is that we wouldn't just think about it but that we really would take uh, some of the things that he said and really put them into action. Uh, We're going to have a a closing worship song. um, And if you need prayer during this time, if you have a decision you want to make, I'd invite you to come up and and find myself. And uh, I'd love to to talk with you as we stand. Have a, a song of worship.
1: together.